helping you take control of your fitness, nutrition, and mindset. This is the KCLR Power Hour with Natalie Lennon. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. You are listening to the Power Hour on KCLR. This is Natalie Lennon with you until 7 p.m. chatting through all things fitness, nutrition, mindset, and well-being. Celebrating my 20th Power Hour show here this evening. I'm thrilled to be back in studio because, as you may know if you've been listening each week, I wasn't here for the last two. And we have a very interesting show in store for you tonight. The Power Hour here on KCLR, in case you're new, is all about giving you the tools and inspiration to take control of your health inside and out. It's about giving you the power to maximize the quality of your life, broadening your mindset and maybe pushing you outside that comfort zone. If you want to get in touch with any questions or thoughts during this evening's show, I would love nothing more than to hear from you. Please do drop me a message on our dinnersready.ie text line 083 306 9696. You can WhatsApp us here too don't forget or as always reach out to me on my Instagram at Natalie Lennon underscore always happy to help if I can now coming up on this week's Power Hour we have our usual Q&A with myself with myself I should say where I'm going to talk about tips for preventing cold sores if there's something you're prone to we're going to answer the question is running on the road really as bad as they say for your joints and recommendations for improving your morning energy levels specifically post-COVID if you've been struggling with that fatigue we have another amazing nutrition special here tonight. We have Linda Murray from Bioga Nutrition in the studio to break down the myths and complications surrounding cholesterol, fibre and the topic of fats. We're going to look at the new study that came out about omega-3 fats and if that can really lower your risk of Alzheimer's. It's a really interesting one. And of course, our fitness funny myth bust minute and your cheer challenge. Don't go anywhere. Wednesdays from 6pm The KCLR Power Hour With Natalie Lennon Carlo Kilkenny KCLR Have something you want answered? Just let us know It's the Power Hour Q&A Yes, it is time for our weekly Q&A here on the Power Hour and I'm thrilled to be back with you. So the first question that came in to me this week, again, I usually get these on my Instagrams, but you can also text them into us here on our dinnersready.ie text line 083-306-9696. So this first one was, I keep getting cold sores, I eat relatively well, but can you recommend any supplement that might help? Now this is a very good question, but let's start with the dietary options that may help reduce the cold sore outbreaks here. We should always look to our diet before we do supplements and I have a nutritional therapist looking at me across the studio and I'm making sure I'm answering this correctly. So food that may help in preventing the outbreaks would be those containing the amino acid which is a protein called lysine. Now or lysine. Lysine blocks a separate protein, an amino acid called arginine, and that's what stops the virus from replicating. Now that all sounds a little bit complicated, but let me break it down. So where can you get more lysine? And also where do you find arginine? I hope I'm pronouncing that one right. So the herpes simplex virus that causes cold sores requires arginine to replicate and thrive in your body. So if you deprive the virus of this amino acid, it can certainly reduce the duration and severity of the outbreak. But this is really hard to do because that amino acid is in many foods out there, many staples in your diet that would have plenty of health benefits such as flax seeds, sunflower seeds, sesame seeds, chocolate, spinach, whole grains. 
So if you were to limit on some of these, it may help, but I think that's going to be just a little bit too difficult for many of you. But if we look at liacine and where you can get it, as we said, liacine blocks arginine and stops the cold sore virus from replicating. So good sources of lysine includes foods that are rich in protein, such as meat, specifically red meat, pork and poultry, cheese, particularly parmesan, certain fish such as cod and sardines, eggs, soybeans, tofu, soy soy protein, spirulina, which is a lovely greens powder that you can pop into your smoothies. And as for foods during an outbreak that you might want to limit, think like, you know, spicy foods, acidic foods, they're best to try and limit. Now, that's where diet can help. That's what you're looking for. But if you want to supplement with lysine, you can do so. I would always speak to a doctor or taking on a new supplement. Remember that. Now, my next question in the Q&A, is running on the road really that bad? You want to start running, but you're not sure what terrain to train on. Well, unfortunately, the studies give really mixed answers here. So commonly, like dirt and grass tracks are known to be better for road running. Now, I've done a lot of running in the past myself, and I would have done it on the road and I did get injured, if that's anything to go by. So the idea behind this is that harder surfaces result in greater impact force exerted on the body and your joints, particularly our knees. We've often heard of someone that we know that suffers with maybe runner's knee, and that's often an overuse injury too. So there's good evidence to say that running on harder surfaces increases the impact force when your foot hits the ground. Yes, so we know there's greater force, but there's actually not that much evidence to say that it leads to a greater injury than running on softer surfaces. So one study published in 2008 in the journal Foot and Ankle International looked at how different running surfaces affected the rate at which runners got tendinopathy. And at some point during the study, 56% of runners suffered with Achilles tendon issues, the most common injury being knee pain. But compared to running on a sandy soft surface, running on the road actually decreased the risk of tendinopathy. Now this study had 291 runners, so it was quite a good number of runners that were studied. So this goes against the idea that running on hard surfaces is actually worse for your joints. And other studies found no correlation at all between running surface and injury rate. So where should you be running? The million dollar question. I'm gonna say a variety of surfaces. That's gonna be better than sticking one consistently. So cross train, run on the pavement, run on the trail, run on grass, run on track. And that is your answer to what may be best, what surface may be best to run on. My final question, I'm going to get to this really quickly. Someone just wrote to me and said that they're finding it hard to come to in the mornings since having COVID. They're really struggling with fatigue and getting going first thing. So my recommendations here are the same as they would be for anyone who struggles with energy in the morning. No screens. Get an alarm clock. Stop using the phone as your alarm. Put the phone in a different room going to bed. Don't hit snooze on the alarm. Get up when it goes off the first time. Get daylight in the morning. Whether you stand outside or you stand at the window, let your eyeballs soak up that daylight before they soak up blue light from screens. Drink water first before your coffee. Hydrate before we caffeinate and get a good balanced breakfast in there. They would be my main tips when it comes to having more energy in the mornings. Now, next up, I am so excited for this. So I'm a nutritional coach. As some of you may know it's a level six. The next step up after that is a nutritional therapist. And I am very, very lucky to be joined by Linda Murray from Bioga Nutrition based here in Kilkenny. Nutritional therapist to talk to me all about cholesterol, fats and fibre. Linda, 
How are you doing? I'm great, thanks. Delighted to be here again. Thanks very much for having me. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here. Linda's had to deal with my nerves here today <laughs> as I drive the desk for maybe the Not second or third time. Not so, at all. You're doing great. Linda, let's dive straight into it. I wanted to speak about cholesterol because I feel like a lot of people don't understand what it is, what contains it, how they can look after their own levels. So yeah. my first question for you today is what is cholesterol? So cholesterol is actually a fatty substance that's produced in every animal, makes it ourselves, right? Uh, so the main production uh, sources, your liver makes most of it in our body, but it's a, it's a steroid fat and it's actually a raw material for a lot of the sex hormones in your body. So, wow. um, you know, a lot of people, I know people make the assumption that cholesterol is really bad, but it's actually it's essential to have it at certain levels in your body, I suppose, to, to start with it that mm-hmm. way. Um, what's it used for? Let's start with that. So it is used as part of your nervous system. It's used in the formation of vitamin D. So I know people say that, oh, you need to get sunlight to get vitamin D. But actually what happens is vitamin D works. There's a biochemical reaction using cholesterol as the raw material to make vitamin D in your body. So like whoever made us or whatever nature made us, we're very complex and we're very cleverly created uh, creatures. Our body, we make vitamin D in our body using cholesterol and the the sunlight. That's part of the process. That's so interesting because often, you know, we just hear the word cholesterol and we think, oh, bad, limit. But it's actually essential. And it's needed to form vitamin D. Yeah, and it's essential in every single cell. So, and I know we're going to talk a bit more about fats in a few minutes, but assuming Mm -hmm. cholesterol is one of the fats, it is essential in every single cell in your body. Incredible. Okay, so tell me this then. Why should we be so concerned about our cholesterol levels? You said there's a certain level that we need. Yeah, there is a certain level that we need. Um, So one of the biggest concerns, I suppose, is it has been indicated in cardiovascular disease or heart disease in the past. And I mean, I know if you look at there, there is some controversy over whether it's still an issue or not, but I suppose it's all about balance, right? And yes. that, that's the big thing that I kind of want to get across to people today. Uh, and there's a lot that people can do through their diet and lifestyle to, to keep well and to keep their cholesterol levels at a normal level. Yes. Yeah, that's essentially what we're aiming for. So we don't want it too low, we don't want it too high. Okay. So then when it comes to cholesterol itself, we've often heard, you know, there's good and there's bad. Yeah. And I feel like as at the general population level, that's all that's known. But yeah. beyond that, what's good, what's bad? So yeah. what is the difference between good and bad cholesterol? Well, so when our cholesterol is formed, because it's a fat, when it's been transported in your blood, it's basically been put into a protein and it's called a lipoprotein. Now, think of, you know, the, that protein has been a kind of a little a little carrier or a little boat that's carrying your, your cholesterol around in your blood. And uh, lipoprotein, sorry, let me get the term right here now, the low-density lipoprotein, that's responsible for carrying the cholesterol towards your heart the HDL, the high-density lipoprotein, and it's just to do with the chemical structure. Nobody yeah. needs to know those kind of details, yeah. right? But the chem- the different chemical structure protein that's carrying it carries it away from your heart. And I suppose the big picture is the stuff that's going away from your heart is going back to your liver is not potentially going to cause problems. And the ones that the GPs are going to be concerned about, if you have a high total cholesterol, the number that they're going to be concerned about is the, t- the number of LDL. That's what's considered the bad cholesterol because that's because going it carries towards, it towards the heart. Yeah, it's going towards the heart. So if the process is going smoothly and they're balanced, there's not a problem. If it's going towards the heart, that can be a problem for some people. Okay, so when we get our cholesterol levels checked, it's really the LDL one that we want to be looking out for. The yeah, 
Yeah. And how often do we be getting a check? So most of the time if somebody comes into to clinic for uh, to reduce their cholesterol and we're in a lucky position at the moment that we're getting quite a few referrals into clinic from GPs and at when the GP is sending them in, they're often saying, come back to me in six months time. I would say most people, like if your cholesterol is normal and you're getting your bloods done once a year, that's absolutely perfect. But if any of your numbers are out of the normal range and you're trying to keep an eye on them three to six months, three to six months, probably is where you'd need Just to be. Just to jump in there, do you think you should be getting your bloods done every six months or once a year? Oh, I, I think once a year is probably, it, it depends if you're trying to monitor oh, something yeah. or not, really. That's that's the big thing. Um, I know that the poor GPs are absolutely swamped at the that's moment. It. So if you can get in, your bloods are okay once a year. If you have no health concerns, if you're feeling well, look after your diet and your lifestyle. And, and if someone uh, wants to visit you back. in Bioga Nutrition, would they bring blood results to you? They can, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And if they get or if they request their G, the copy of their bloods from their GP, especially if somebody's coming in for something like cholesterol or, you know, pre-diabetes, or something it's great it's to have great a copy of the bloods to see what the results are before and Brilliant. after we okay. tend to get results ideally we'd, we'd start getting them back into control probably around three months that's the kind of minimum I'd be looking at getting them to retested. get it back to okay yeah. very good and then depending when, so, what we're starting from so time. that's brilliant that's how often we would want to be getting our cholesterol levels checked depending on yeah. your values but what is it and this is the million dollar question but I think that our listeners will really really tune in on this what is it that makes our cholesterol levels go up yeah Best question of the day so far. Um, so far. Oh, I'm sorry, so far, Natalie. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, as, as a student of nutrition, I'm a nutritional therapist and we love understanding the root cause of what's causing somebody's health concern. So perfect question when it comes to, to cholesterol too. So there's a number of things. Um, the first thing I would talk about, and I mean, this is kind of slightly off centre, but the, the first thing I'd mention when somebody comes to cholesterol is I'd look at their digestive system. So people may not even necessarily have bad digestive symptoms, but especially people who are constipated, for example, may not be having a bowel movement, may not be eliminating their waste hormones, and that can contribute to an increase in your cholesterol levels. Wow. Or any other hormone imbalance for that matter, right? Now, these are all contributing factors. They're not the main driving forces, right? Yeah. But anything to do with microbiome and all that kind of stuff, will, if there's an imbalance there, that will contribute to your high cholesterol. Um, the next, I suppose, one of the biggest drivers for cholesterol, when you go back to look at what it is, cholesterol is kind of a protective substance in our body. So... I try and explain it to people. It's kind of like a liquid bandage. So if somebody's got a lot of wear and tear and inflammation in their arteries, cholesterol goes to the scene of the crime to try and soothe the problem. But that damage is kind of the reason the cholesterol is sticking there because the, the artery is damaged. So inflammation is the root of why the cholesterol is in the heart rather than been there for any other reason so inflammation wow. is one of the biggest things and we know that's one of the biggest problems in our diet nowadays however yeah. we're not educated it's, on it it's, but it is. it's one of the biggest problems I was actually at a conference on Saturday and I think he was saying the root cause of the top 15 cause of death worldwide 14 out of 15 are probably coming back to inflammation wow you know so it's fairly stark statistic um, I remember when I did my nutritional course that is what um, Richard said to us in the Irish Institute of Nutrition and Health he was like the number one killer is not you know like maybe 
cancer or a certain disease that we often hear, it's inflammation, yeah. which we're doing to ourselves as yeah. a result of what we put into our body. And it can be prevented, but we're just not educated on how to do so. Well, I think that's the, the, the beauty with something like this is this is something we do have control over. and People have the power to take care of themselves. You know, there are some like very serious diseases that we just don't have as much information on yet. Yeah. And, you know, unfortunately, some people can. get them. But this we know and we can do something about it. And it's not just cholesterol. This is cardiovascular health in general. This is your blood sugar, your diabetes type of disease in general. This is your energy. This is your hormonal balance. It's across the board, Natalie. So it's a win-win, you know, yeah, to get so the information under control. Going back to make sure we've shared all points with the listeners when it comes to what makes your cholesterol levels go up, our digestive system, yeah. inflammation, anything else? Stress. So what I actually missed on the list early on in, in the what we use cholesterol for one of the biggest uses for cholesterol is to make all of our sex hormones so our estrogen progesterone it's a raw material or estrogen progesterone testosterone but it's also one of the raw materials for our, our hormone cortisol so if somebody is eating a relatively decent diet but their stress levels are chronically elevated for an extended period of time I can almost be guaranteed that their cholesterol levels are going to be elevated. That scares me because you know the way you just go through periods in life where you can't help but feel extremely stressed out. Like I always think when I was in my final year of college, yep. I'll never experience that same level of stress again. First breakdown I ever had, fell to the floor, couldn't breathe and I would have been eating relatively healthy but I'm sure my yeah. cholesterol may have been high yeah. just because I was that stressed out. So yeah. it's really important that you bring in, you know yourself, like your mindfulness, your meditation, you yeah. look at your schedule, but try your best to keep stress down. Yeah, and it's, you know, some people say to me, oh, do you meditate every day? And I said, what makes me relaxed isn't what's going to make you relaxed. So climbing a mountain could be what will do it for you. Yoga might do it for me. It yes. might be a walk with a dog. It might be a laugh with the girls. You know, it's everybody... If you can try and find something that you enjoy, I think having a laugh is huge. Kind of remember to be Absolutely. happy. And like life has been so stressful and tough in general. And a lot of people are just contrary and cranky after the last couple of years. Understandably so. I think the good weather today now will put smiles on faces <laughs> again. But even, you know, the last long weekend, the weather was bad. People were contrary. It's difficult. So if you can be aware of the stress levels it is important to try and get them managed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, a big part of that, and actually, sorry not to forget, yes. is sleep. Lack of sleep is going to make stress levels, whereas stress levels is going to make cholesterol go up. So please get a good night's sleep. I know, it's all connected. Come here, Linda. Stay with us. Listeners, don't go anywhere because we have lots more information that we want to bring to you just after this. Helping you take control of your fitness, nutrition and mindset. The KCLR Power Hour with Natalie Lennon. Carlo, Kilkenny, KCLR. Welcome back, everybody. You are listening to The Power Hour. It's Natalie Lennon here with you. So we're speaking to Linda Murray from Bioga Nutrition, all about cholesterol at the moment. Time is flying. What we didn't get to touch on there was our treatment options. We just spoke about what can cause your cholesterol to go up. Linda, what are the treatment options if it is up? Yes, yeah, so if you're, you go to your GP and your cholesterol is up, their uh, course of action, if you're interested is to take a medication called a statin and that will reduce the cholesterol in your body that's one option okay another option is and in conjunction if you're on a statin you can still look at your diet and your lifestyle so i mentioned inflammation being a problem but essentially um following a, a mediterranean diet natalie is the best 
course of action. Every week, when we any week that we speak about nutrition here on the Power Hour, that's what it comes back to: yeah. the Mediterranean diet. It's a really, it's it's the most highly researched diet. In fairness, and I know people. I suppose you know it's varies slightly but essentially what it is is eating real food most of the time eating lots of colors eating good sources of oily fish good fats which we will good talk fats, about and um, plenty of nuts and seeds whole grains plenty of water getting good sleep trying to get moderate exercise so some people are doing no exercise at all which is contributing to problems and some people are over exercising which is also contributing I've to problems <laughs> I know and it's difficult in fairness if somebody uses uh, a lot of exercise for stress management that is it, it can yeah. be difficult but I suppose it's just everybody's different so what different people can tolerate is different but actually even exercising can change the ratio of good to bad cholesterol so it is important to be moving at least um and I mentioned sleep already, all hugely important things just to, to do right. And even in conjunction with, if you're on medication, you, these can already, you know, you can incorporate these healthier yeah. habits into your diet. The one um, I just wanted to mention, we are running a course actually, we're developing at the moment on cholesterol, just to break it down to all the nitty gritty of what's a Mediterranean diet, what does it look like, how do I incorporate it, all those kind of things because we get a lot of people in for cholesterol and some of the information is very straightforward but it's just, it can be all very overwhelming for people to get too much information yeah. in one go so we're just trying to break it to more bite-sized manageable pieces, you Brilliant. know. So that's a course that you're doing at the moment in Biogany? Yeah, well yeah. We're, we'll have it launched in the next couple of weeks. We, we're seeing people in clinic for for the last couple of years so we're you know this is but something that we see yeah, yeah we see because regularly I do think often you know we, and not to kind of diss the medical world but you go in you're told you have high cholesterol if you do here's your statins but there's other ways around it and yeah. they should be looked at first if it's not at a dangerously high level and in fairness we've GP sending people to us so I do Brilliant. think it completely depends on the person Natalie not everybody is willing to put the effort into making the changes to their diet or they're afraid that it's just too much mm. that's why I think that's why we're kind of doing the course to, to break it down really small the one thing I wanted to mention if somebody's on statins and they can be really effective you know getting your cholesterol under control but some people can't tolerate them very well They're, they can lead to some aches and pains so it is recommended if you're taking a statin you may benefit from taking CoQ10 as a supplement so speak to the pharmacist where you get your statin and see if they'd recommend a CoQ10 supplement because it may um, mitigate some of the muscle aches and pains that people are experiencing or fatigue okay. that people experience because that's an essential nutrient and it gets yes. depleted by statins so yes really and good it depletes as you age am I right in saying yeah, that yeah so it's yeah. lower as you age yeah, yeah but okay. some people that will actually negate the side effects of the medication that people yes are not tolerating great advice and one thing that I want to add to that I said this on my Instagram earlier today I know you saw it Linda was like I just I admire you so much for creating a course just to educate people because when it comes to nutrition and the diet industry and diet culture it's so often led by dictation right mm. so we're told what to do we're told here's your calories go stick to them here's your meal plan go stick to that but we're not educated mm. once you're educated on how your body actually works and what it needs that's when the magic happens so yeah. education over dictation happening <laughs> right in front of us here okay my next Thank question you. for you um are so this is one that gets a bad rep when it comes to cholesterol the whole time. Are egg yolks a problem? No. Well, there you have it, folks. So, in a word. So, cholesterol have a bad reputation because they, I think it's, they're the single, single highest dietary source of cholesterol. 
but 80% of the cholesterol in your body is synthesized in your body. So it comes from your body. It's not consumed. Eggs are also very cleverly designed, whoever made them, because they also contain, in the yolk of an egg, it'll also contain a compound called lecithin. I don't know if you've heard of it. Yes. Uh, lecithin, lecithin, whatever way it likes to be pronounced. And that's actually an emulsifier. So it's kind of like washing up liquid. So one of the dis- uh, the difficult parts about fats is trying to digest and absorb them. And lecithin helps in that process. So even though there's cholesterol in the egg, it also contains compounds to help digest and absorb the, the cholesterol in the egg. So really clever. But they're also the, not the main source of dietary or of cholesterol in your body. Now, everything, as I always say, don't live on 15 eggs a day, please, because that's never going to do you any good. But absolutely be included in your... Like two eggs a day is okay. Yeah, and probably try and get variety in as much as possible. Yeah. So if you had two eggs five days a week, if you're having them every day, what are you not eating? You know? That's, that, that's all I'm, I'm looking at. It's not that the eggs are the problem. Answered by true nutrition therapist. <laughs> I love I'm it. I'm so annoying, so balanced. <laughs> <laughs> so then when it comes to saturated fat, is that more of a problem for our cholesterol levels than foods containing cholesterol? This is actually a really interesting one because saturated fat has a really bad reputation as well, right? Mm-hmm. But saturated fat is associated with red meat and dairy products and they're associated with heart disease but actually if you look at the studies with the saturated fat it's not necessarily some people will consume lots of saturated fat and it won't contribute to elevated cholesterol what I'd say about saturated fat is like that if you are eating saturated fat in your diet as part of a balanced diet but it's mainly Mediterranean based you're not going to be overdoing it some people we would get people in clinic now who would be on say a ketogenic diet Mm -hmm. and that means that they're consuming 70% of their calories from From fat but some people following a ketogenic diet are eating all animal products so it drives up their cholesterol and drives up their you know when they get their bloods done their cholesterol has gone very high very quickly but it's because the bulk of it is coming from animal products rather than fats from polyunsaturated and monounsaturated and other other types of fats. So saturated fat can be a problem for some people, but I think it can definitely be included in moderation in the diet too. Yeah. So this is the perfect stepping stone for us to move into our next topic, which is fats. We had one or two more questions on cholesterol, but we're just running out of time. I could talk to you for hours, Linda. Um, When it comes to fats, this is such a complicated area of nutrition and one of potentially the most misunderstood out there. You know, everyone's like, but fat is bad. We shouldn't eat fat. And we know that's not the case now. So let's start simple. What is fat? The least simple question in the world, (laughs) Natalie. And so fat is, it's a macronutrient. So very simply what it is, is when you look at food in total, it contains carbohydrates, proteins and fats. They're the macronutrients, the Mm -hmm. big chunk of the food. And fats, the role of fat, I suppose, the purpose is to provide us with fatty acids and fat-soluble vitamins. But it's also fat in our body is used as a store for energy and fat in our food contributes to it tasting delicious and it also provides us with satiety. So that means you feel more satisfied. You know, after having a meal that has fat in it, you're going to be feeling fuller without yes. feeling fuller of that makes And I sense. can hand on heart say that is so true because for years when I was younger I would have been afraid of fat yeah. so I would have um, completely left it out of my meals thinking yeah. I was lowering the calories because it was on calories yeah. but sure I was hungry again an hour yeah. later so then I was going for more food so it yeah. just was completely counterintuitive And it, it does contain more calories it, take, it contains double the amount of calories as the same quantity of carbohydrates and proteins that's an absolutely true but I suppose 
the fact of the matter is, if it's not there, like, you know, people would often say to me, oh, I, I don't have um, any butter on my dinner. And I'm always saying, well, if a little bit of butter means that you're going to have a, a big plate of vegetables, I'd much rather that than you standing up from your dinner going, ah, that didn't really hit the spot. And next minute you're rooting in the press to see what you can find. Yeah. And it's a tub of Pringles or a pack of biscuits to be consumed. And then you don't care about nutrient content or calories. And then you're feeling rubbish afterwards. And, you know, it's the vicious cycle. So if a little bit of fat on your dinner helps you to enjoy it and feel satisfied, that's a win. Yeah. So when it comes to the types of fat that we consume, they obviously can all have varying effects on our health. And fat is not just fat. So if we say, you know, we have saturated, we've unsaturated, and then kind of trans fats, which yeah. we're going to dive into all three types. And again, this might sound a little bit complicated to the listeners, but it's not. So if you're listening out and getting overwhelmed, just take a deep breath wherever you are, whether you're driving or you're sitting in the kitchen. It's not as complicated as it sounds. So let's start with saturated fat to begin, Linda. Why is it labelled as a bad fat? Because, you know, what we mentioned earlier with the, the, the meat and dairy, it's associated with those foods that are considered to be bad when you're talking about your heart health. Um, they're not necessarily bad and there's a whole populations of people now who would think that there's you shouldn't be eating anything nearly only saturated fat. And You know, there's wow. lots of different evidence out there, right? Um I would say included, like when we're talking about saturated fat, I'm talking about things like butter and coconut oil. If you're just looking at fat, you're going to find saturated fat in your red meats, in any of your dairy products. Um, They're all going to contain saturated fat, but consuming them in moderation is absolutely perfect. And the way I'd always say it is, like our body knows what to do with butter. It recognises, it knows what to do with coconut oil. It recognises it. It's a real food. It was made... On in the ground as opposed to in a plant mm-hmm. or it comes from a plant um, or clearly butter doesn't yeah. but you know what I mean like it's a natural product and it's yes. our body knows how to process it whereas if we go straight onto the trans or hydrogenated fats they're processed or damaged fats so they're chemically altered and they're often used for mouthfeel and stuff and food but they're often used in processed foods to give a longer shelf life to make foods last a lot longer and for them to taste nice so that yeah. you're going to eat more but and they're made cheap at the end of the day they're made they're chemically altered so we were not made to digest these because they're not natural they that, have been chemically altered that, that's exactly it and when it comes to the level of saturated fat that's that's safe to eat are we just kind of maybe going to go with the message that it's all about balance yeah I, I think it is number. I think it's it's too I don't like giving numbers to people, Natalie. I think it makes it too restrictive and I really don't like doing that to people. If somebody has a specific health goal or if they feel, you know, I'd often get people into clinic and they can't tolerate anything, whether it's a bag of chips or a bit of butter. And then we have to figure out what's going on with their body that they mm-hmm. can't tolerate that. And we'd work on that. But definitely we need to be including a certain amount of fat on people's diets. Yeah. And even like if you've got a hormone balance, if you're menopausal, fat or you know if you've any like flaky skin or you have itching there's lots of little symptoms that people can be experiencing because they don't have the the right levels of fat yeah I definitely did experience those in the past when I wasn't having enough and now I have probably I'd say four times five times what I used to and I feel incredible as a result so moving on to say that the quotations good fats the unsaturated fats why are they labelled as good? They contain essential fatty acids, omega-3, 6 and 9, essentially. So we could get into the monos and poly, unsaturated and all that kind of stuff. But essentially, 
they're containing good fat-soluble vitamins and good nutrients that are anti-inflammatory in nature when we consume them. And they're called essential because we can't make them in our body. We have to consume them in our diet. And the sources where you'll find them will be in, I'm like a scratch record now, but oily yeah. fish. Nuts <laughs> this is, is good. We need yeah, to do it again and again to dread in there. It, well, I suppose the message is not too different most of the time, I suppose. It, it's the same message over and over. Yeah. Like when we're talking about a Mediterranean diet and an anti-inflammatory diet, you're talking about good fatty fish. Um, nuts and seeds on a daily basis and small portions you don't need to be eating them by the bucket unsalted and unroasted now may I add um, <laughs> things like olive oil or extra olive oil and like I'd have people coming into me with fat free salad dressings and I'm like oh god it can taste so much yummier if you just put a nice salad dressing on with some you know, extra virgin yes, olive oil and, and vinegar for longer, keep yeah. the blood sugars balanced. So, an example of how you may replace bad fats with good fats, we're saying oily fish, obviously. Yep. Swapping out the biscuits for the unsalted nuts, yep. adding seeds to breakfast, and your salad dressing. Yeah. Okay, I think they are fantastic nuts. examples to leave people with. Really quickly, because we've just run out of time. Where does it go? We did say we'd speak about fibre. Now, when it comes to fibre in Ireland, according to the Irish Nutrition and Dietetic Institute, almost eighty percent. And I've said this here before because it blows my mind. Almost 80% of Irish adults do not eat enough fibre. So national guidelines recommend a daily intake of 24 to 35 grams to keep our digestive system working at best. Linda, how can we increase our fibre intake? Eat more plants. So, yeah. Now, when I'm talking about plants, it's fruit, vegetables, nuts, seeds, beans, lentils and chickpeas whole grains so things like brown rice quinoa those kind of of grains like oats are all great and fresh herbs all great sources of different types of soluble and insoluble fibre really good for your microbiome kind of like a scratched record here but this is what we need we yeah. need to hear it said again and again or else we're not going lots to of colour and lots of fibre in your food you can if you're struggling to increase it, the food you can add some you know fibre type of supplements but I would rather get in with food first to be yeah. quite honest it's a much like easier way to do it. Like seeds flax seeds yeah. they are two of the best kind of food sources you can bring in they're nearly like a yeah. food supplement in themselves. Cheese seeds have double the amount of flax seeds double the amount of fibre in a tablespoon of cheeses as there is in flax seeds. Wow, I never knew that. Raspberries have 8 grams. Oh, I'm laughing. Raspberries have 8 grams of fibre per 100 grams versus 3 grams in strawberries. Like, it's there. And what about blueberries, Linda? The fibre isn't as good. They'd be closer to strawberries. But they're all good. Like, I I don't like giving numbers for that exact reason. But, like, small tweaks can get it into your food very easily. It's just to kind of just... Make the tweaks. Yeah, okay. Linda, I kind of flew through fibre there because we were running out of time. I'm going to hang on to you. I might bounce one or two things off you that I've coming up here as we come to near the end of the Power Hour. But I still have lots of interesting news for our listeners. So don't go anywhere, guys. You're listening to the KCLR Power Hour with Nathalie Lennon. Carlo Kilkenny, KCLR. Now we are back with a listener question here that we're just going to touch on very quickly. So this question uh, was from a male who has prostate cancer and he can't eat much food. His stomach turns quite easily. Do you guys have any suggestions for things that may be easier for him to eat and stomach? Now I suppose first off, listen, it is usually a doctor that you'd have to turn to for information like this rather than nutritional coach or nutritional therapist. But Linda, would you agree with me in saying it'd be mainly kind of smoothies, soups? Yeah, it's food that is easier 
to digest is exactly that. So if it's a smoothie, adding berries or adding, you know, maybe even a little bit of protein powder, depending on what you can tolerate yourself at the moment. But it's to try and eat small portions of food regularly if you can um, and not try and put yourself under pressure. But there is soup is also a great one. I know people when you're not feeling up to much, uh, soup can yeah, be a great yeah. way and you can get a lot of nutrients into those individual types of meals yes brilliant brilliant okay Linda thank you very much and I hope that answers our listeners question now we're going to move into um, our fitness funny here Linda I'm going to bounce my jokes off you this week because I never have anyone to laugh back at me and I'm hoping you do <laughs> I'm laughing the power hour fitness funny okay we like to keep it nice and lighthearted here so um Linda, I'm going to ask you, why is the heart the strongest muscle in the body? I don't know, Natalie. Because it's always pumping iron. <laughs> why did the bodybuilder read the dictionary, though? I don't know, Natalie. <laughs> I feel like that's going to be your answer yeah. to everything here. He was trying to learn how to define muscle. Oh, God, I love it. And our last one. <laughs> what do you call someone who's really into stationary biking? What do you call somebody who's into stationary biking? A psychopath. <laughs> it's like you have to giggle at how cringy they are, right? <laughs> They're excellent. My son would love these. He'd love them. Oh, I hope so. I hope someone's laughing out there, so I'm not laughing on my own here. Now, moving into our next segment, this is our Myth Bust. Clearing up those misconceptions, the Power Hour One Minute Myth Bust. Now, vitamin C can cure the common cold. Is this true or false? It is indeed false. So if taken after a cold begins, it is no more effective than any other supplement or medication used to shorten the duration of a cold. However, if taken every day before a cold appears, it may shorten the duration of the cold by 8% in adults and 14% in children, approximately, according to some studies that were done. Vitamin C isn't actually stored in the body, meaning Excess amounts are excreted, which eliminates the risk of overdose. However, recommended daily recommended daily amounts of this vitamin, if you exceed them, it could lead to an upset stomach or kidney stones diarrhea. Remember that. So the rendered daily allowance is 80 to 90 milligrams for men, 60 to 7 for women. I have Linda looking at me going, Nat, I said I didn't like putting numbers out there. <laughs> now, one thing that I didn't get to share with you was the facts from the Omega-3 study. So you're just going to have to tune in next week, everyone, to hear those. But what I do want to leave you with before we round up our para hour today is my cheer challenge. So this week... What I'm going to ask you to do every single week, I give the listeners a cheer challenge so that you have a little um, activity to go that you know is going to boost your mood in some shape or form during the week. And this week, it's not quite uh, nutritionally or fitness related. It's more, say, mindful related. And that's going to be to pet a dog or a cat. A Washington State University study found that petting a dog or cat for even just 10 minutes produced a major reduction in cortisol, the stress hormone. And I can tell you this is true because my cat, <laughs> she is like, she's my vice. She just lowers my stress levels instantly when I look at her or cuddle up to her. And when I was in college, we used to have um, puppy therapy in Trinity at the time. I nearly hate seeing where I went to college because someone's rolling their eyes out there. But they had puppy therapy to help reduce our stress levels during the time of exams. Now, guys, we're going to start rounding up the show. 
Thank you so much for lending me your ears tonight. Thank you so much for Linda Murray from Bioga Nutrition to, for joining me in studio. Don't forget, I'm going to be back on Sundays now as well with Natalie Lennon on Casey Lore, my new music and talk show where we have the chats and we, we keep clear of nutrition and fitness on that show. But if you do want to catch up on anything that we've done here on the Power Hour over the last 20 weeks, you can do so on Spotify. Next week, we're going to be talking all about CrossFit. So you might find that really interesting. We have our 7 o'clock news coming up. So don't go anywhere, guys. Take care. The KCLOR Power Hour with Natalie Lennon.